Grab your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 41. We're going to continue and, Lord willing, finish that chapter. Genesis 41. Let's pray and, and then let's, let's get to work. All right, Father, we come to you today in Jesus' name, and Lord, thank you that in him, Lord, we can stand. Lord, thank you that we do not stand in our own righteousnesses, but we stand in the righteousness of Christ. We stand in the finished work of Calvary. Lord, we stand in Christ, and so Lord, uh, thank you for Jesus. Lord, thank you for the life of Joseph, who so beautifully illustrates the person and the work of Christ. And so God, I'm asking that today you'd give us eyes to see, Lord, ears to hear, and minds and hearts that will believe on the truth that's found in your word. Lord, we wanna believe your word. We don't want to, to, to be guilty of having personal and private doubt. Uh, Lord, help us to take you at your word and to see Jesus for who he is and to trust him to be our supply. Lord, we live in a lost and fallen world, as you well know, and, and uh, spiritually, it's a place of famine, but, but Lord, in Jesus, uh, he is, he has the living bread, and, and uh, we can come and we can dine, we can be supplied, we can be strengthened, and so Lord, uh, grow our faith this morning to, to believe, to take you at your word, and to move through life and faith, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Genesis 41, last time we saw Pharaoh, he has a dream. Actually, two sleeps, two dreams. And, um, you know, that's the theme of Joseph's life. He's connected to two dreams. As a young man, he has two dreams, and, and that puts him in a position where when he shares those dreams with his family, his family despises him. Uh, Joseph uh, his father is considering it. Jacob considers these dreams, but, but his brethren hate him for it, and they end up selling. They want to kill him. Uh, Reuben intervenes, but, but uh, they end up selling. They end up selling him into slavery. Uh, just, I mean, you think your brothers and sisters were unreasonable. <laughs> you never got trafficked, okay? Joseph gets trafficked, and, and, uh, and where does he show up? In, uh, in, in Potiphar's house. Come to find out he's sexually trafficked. Uh, she wants to, to have an affair with him behind Potiphar's back and, and he flees and he does the right thing and, and then he goes to jail for it. So now he's in jail and two of Potiphar's officers have two dreams. They have these dreams and Joseph gives the interpretation. Everything happens exactly as he declared. Uh, the butler is promoted, the baker off with his head. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Joseph thinks that, that this is the ticket, this is his ticket out of jail. He's been unjustly imprisoned, and, and surely the butler will remember him well. Well, two full years later, Pharaoh has two dreams. So Joseph is left just marinating, slow roasting in prison for two more full years. And we talked about that. You know, the butler has to be able to find Joseph when the time is right. So now here is Pharaoh having these two dreams. The first dream was seven fat cows feeding in a meadow. 
followed by seven ravenous skinny cows that eat up the fat cows, and after they eat up the fat cows, you can't tell that it helped them at all. Then he has a second dream. Seven plump ears of corn on one stalk, followed by seven shriveled ears of corn that devour the plump ears. And so here it is, you know, that, that the Pharaoh, nobody can tell Pharaoh what's happening. Why is he dreaming these crazy, psychedelic, scary dreams? And, and so the chief butler remembers Genesis 41 verse nine. He says to Pharaoh, I do remember my faults this day. And he tells Pharaoh the story. So Pharaoh in verse 14 sends for Joseph. He sent and called for Joseph and they brought him hastily out of the dungeon. And he, Joseph, shaved himself and changed his raiment and came in unto Pharaoh. And so in verses 15 through 37, we saw Joseph as he's shown as the interpreter of dreams. He is the revealer of secrets. He knows the mind, the message, the heart of God, and so he's able to declare the Father's will fully to Pharaoh and to the nation of Egypt. So Pharaoh says to his servants, verse 38, can we find such a one as this, a man in whom, notice what it says, you know, in the Old Testament, over and over again, you see the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost coming on people, the Holy, the Holy Spirit comes on people, but, but look at Pharaoh's comment of Joseph, a man in whom the Spirit of God is. Why is the Spirit in him, so you don't miss the type of Christ? Who is like Joseph? Let's put him in charge. And so in verses 37 through 38, you know, Pharaoh recognizes that Joseph's words have spiritual weight, supernatural power. And Joseph explains to his brethren, uh, we'll see this at the end of our study in Genesis in in chapter 50 and verse 20, you know, you meant to get rid of me, right? As for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. And so in one day, Joseph is promoted from, I mean, he's got a, from the time he starts having dreams to 30 years of age, Joseph has been persecuted. He's been suffering. And so in a day, in a moment, he goes from, a, I mean, from, from the prison to the palace, from being the lowest of the low in Egypt to running everything overnight. And so that brings us down to Genesis chapter 41 and verse 45. Uh, We're gonna title this section Joseph's Wedding, Joseph's Picturesque Wedding. And uh, again, this is like the, this is like the end of the Star Wars movies, you know, this is the big celebration moment. Verse 45 says, and Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zaphnath Paanea, and he gave him to wife Asenath, the daughter of Potiphera, priest of On. So he calls him Zaphnath Paanea. That's a royal name. Joseph is given a royal name. It's a name above other names in Egypt. Uh, the Egyptian meaning, they say, I don't know, maybe Wagi can tell us. Uh, the Egyptian meaning was savior of the world, is what that name was supposed to mean. Um, in the Coptic, some scholars say it means revealer of secrets. Uh, the man to whom, or the name means the man to whom secrets are revealed. I don't know, I'm just throwing that out there. I don't speak Egyptian. I have no clue what those names mean, but I just thought that was interesting. He's got a name, savior of the world, revealer of secrets. 
It's a name above every other name in the nation. So now, what does that remind us of? In Philippians chapter two, what do we have? We've got God himself made man. He takes upon himself the form of a servant and he humbles himself. He becomes obedient even to being the sin bearer, the lamb of God, to take away the sin of the world. He's obedient unto death. So here is God in the flesh, greatly humbled, greatly despised, greatly abused and misused. We murdered our creator. So from that humble, that place of ultimate humility, what does God do? Philippians chapter two says that God hath highly exalted him and given him what? A name above every name. It's the name above all names that at the name of Jesus Christ, right? I mean, Jesus is Lord. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. And at his name, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. Now, a lot of people say, no, I'm not gonna do that. You know, I think, I, you know, what happens is, is, you know, we're ignorant. We're ignorant people. We don't have all the data. How long have you lived? The best of us are maybe approaching 100, okay? Like you really took care of yourself, you did everything right, you're on the approach to 100, 100 years old. What do you know? In the grand scheme of everything, nothing. You don't have God's eternal perspective on what's going on. Outside of God's word, you'll remain clueless, but what people do is they look at the data that they have and they look at the world and they say, if there's a God, he's a monster and I will not submit to him. And you have no clue what's actually happening. No clue of the great love that God has for the entire planet. No clue of any of that, okay? What you do is you've got this idea. You manufacture a God. You make him into a straw man so you can beat him down and do what you want to do. And you say, I will not bow to this, this horrible, me monster, tyrant of a God. Yes, you will. Absolutely, you will. You will stand at the judgment and you will fall on your face. At the name of Jesus, you will bow and you will confess him, King of kings and Lord of lords. And what's sad is you'll do that going into eternal perdition. The Bible says very clearly, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And that the wages of that sin, that rebellion against the word, the person, the, 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 the law of God, the wages, the penalty is death. And what you miss the entire time is that God gave us a choice. In every phase of humanity, we had a choice and we chose to rebel. God puts Adam in paradise. Everything is going his way. He's in charge of everything. There's one tree he can't eat from because to eat of it means he's a rebel against God. So God warns him. God wasn't willing that he would perish and he warned him. Everything's on the menu except that one tree. And all it took for Adam was, his e was for his wife Eve to be deceived. And what does he do? He rebels against God. Read 1 Timothy chapter 2. He did it on purpose. And guess what? You were there that day. You're like, oh, I, I was born in 68. I was born just the other day. What are you talking about? I was there. In Adam, all die. The whole of humanity was in Adam. We were all there. The genetic material for the entire race rebels against the Lord. Well, God's still not willing that any would perish. And the story of the Bible is God pleading with man, God intervening despite man, 
So much so that it comes to the, I mean, just comes to the pinnacle in the person of Christ, taking upon himself the form of a servant. When John the Baptist saw him, he says, behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And instead of having John's attitude toward Jesus, he, he must increase, I must decrease, right? I, 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 need to, I, need to, I need to humble myself, I need to exalt the person of Christ. Man stands in rebellion against the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and they say, I'll never bow the knee. Yes, you will. Yes, you will, even Satan himself will bow the knee. Every tongue will confess him as King of kings and Lord of lords. And the sad part is, the whole time, God is not willing that any would perish. And he proved it at Calvary. He fell all over himself, making a way of salvation for you and I. How great is the love of God. But, you know, humanity likes to exist as petty tyrants. (laughs) Um, It's the spirit of Antichrist. Now here is Joseph picturing, he's a type, he's a picture of the person of Christ himself. He is one of two characters in your Bible of whom no sin is recorded. Uh, he and Daniel. Joe is a perfect type of Christ and, and what happens now? Well, he is married to the best that the land has to offer. The best that the world has becomes his wife. So he's given a royal name, he's given a name by Pharaoh, to which every knee must bow. He's second in the kingdom, so also Christ, but he's also, this makes him ultimate marriage material. So in in obeying God, in being faithful to the Lord, Joseph has done much better for himself than Potiphar's wife. Brothers and sisters, okay, don't settle. Matthew chapter 6, 33 tells you to seek God first and his righteousness. Seek the kingdom of God first. Seek his righteousness. Why? Well, you do have need in this world. Matthew chapter 6 is all about the need that, that people have, the physical needs that people have. And, and Jesus' point on that is, is, you know, if you're part of my economy, if you're part of my paradigm, you're actually not focused on what you can get for yourself out of the world. You're going to be focused on a right relationship with me, and then these things that are needed, well, they'll be added unto you. So you wanna marry a babe? You wanna marry the best? Make sure you're walking close with the Lord. Make sure you're walking faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. And then what he will do is he'll make sure that your hap lands on the field of Boaz, right? He'll make sure that, that I mean, if, if, it's his, if he wants to share you with someone else, well, then he'll set you up with his best for you. Man, I, I, it, it took me a while as a young man to figure that out, but once I did, I locked in on it. I don't want the best that I can produce for a mate. I want God to have his way with my life. And whoever he wants to be, me to partner with, he'll make that happen, and he did. It, it all worked out, praise the Lord. Thank God for Cheryl. Okay, so, so here's Joseph. He's given a Gentile bride, a Gentile wife by the king. So also Christ is given a Gentile bride by the father. And Joseph doesn't get just anyone. Pharaoh Pharaoh doesn't just hook him up with a slave girl, no. He's married to the daughter of the priest of On. This is the upper echelon of Egyptian society. The religious class would be much higher than the lower civil class. So this daughter of the priest of On, uh, this is gonna be, I mean, the, the priest of On is marrying whoever he wants. 
He's getting the best of the best. I mean, these are women that are trained from birth. They're being trained for this priestly, classly living. And, and so, you know, the priest of On's gonna marry a looker. <laughs> Absolutely. And so here's Joseph marrying this man's daughter. So this woman would, would likely make Potiphar's wife look plain. I mean, you know, Potiphar's not married to, to some homely outfit. I mean, he's, 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 he's actually in service to Pharaoh himself. Uh, in terms of what's available to him, he's gonna get the best of the best. But, but, but now Joseph, you know, Potiphar's wife, she tried to make a prey of him. And so now Joseph has a huge upgrade over the cougar that was trying to make time with him in Potiphar's house. I mean, again, can you imagine at this wedding, Potiphar and his wife have to come. Can you imagine the reaction here? This is one of the home movies, God's home videos that I want to watch in heaven. And I want, the, I, want to, I want to see the close pan up of Potiphar and his wife, the look on their face when Joe's getting married as number two in the land. You know that Potiphar and his wife immediately after that wedding went on a very long vacation. They stayed out of sight, out of mind. <laughs> because uh, they just wanted to survive the, 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 the shakeup in Egypt. So now verse 45 says, and Joseph went out over all the land of Egypt. And Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Well, why 30 years of age? Why, is it, why, does, it, why does Joe have to wait until he's 30 to be quote unquote savior of the world? Well, Joseph, just as he was 30 years of age, when he began his, let's just say it this way, his earthly ministry of being savior of the world, because that's his job description now, so also Jesus was 30 years of age when his earthly ministry began. 30 years of age, that's the time of full maturity, right? Your brain's done developing, uh, you're at a place of of full or complete maturity. Jesus in Luke chapter three and verse 23, it says, Jesus himself began to be about 30 years of age, being as was supposed the son of Joseph, which was the son of Heli. So, so of course, Joseph is elevated to this position at 30 years of age. All right, verse 46, let's keep going. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went throughout all the land of Egypt. And in the seven plenteous years, the earth brought forth by handfuls. And he gathered up all the food of the seven years, which were in the land of Egypt, and laid up the food in the cities. The food of the field, which was around about every city, laid he up in the same. And so this is wisdom. This is a biblical principle. You wanna lay up for the future. You wanna, you wanna store against winter. You wanna lay up against future hard times. So you wanna save money, you wanna save food. You know, it is interesting. I mean, man, what is going on in the world right now? Chicken houses are catching fire all over. You've got guys euthanizing whole flocks of birds. I mean, chicken, eggs went from a buck a dozen. You could get them for a buck a dozen at Aldi, and now some places in our country, they're 10, 12 bucks a dozen. I saw a, vid I saw a meme of uh, a gal wearing a fried egg on a chain, <laughs> on a gold chain, and the caption was, sometimes a girl just has to spoil herself. <laughs> I mean, it was like, eggs are gold now. Okay, what in the world? 
I don't know if you're paying attention to the news, but you've got a lot of people, a lot of talking heads that are saying there's a famine coming in, in the world, particularly in America this year. I, I pray they're wrong. I pray, they're, I, pray it's a, I, I pray it's chicken little, cry in the sky is falling. I pray that this is a, a blessed year, but at the end of the day, you wanna be ready for a hard time. Why aren't you laying up food against, what if you lost your job? What if there was a supply, a, a true supply chain breakdown? Are you ready to feed your family? Do you have cash laid up so that you can respond? Do you have resources laid up? This is a biblical principle. Your great grandparents knew it, and they did it without fail. You could have a horrible year, and your family survived because they were ready. They knew what the Bible said. Psalms chapter 6, verse 6 says, Go to the ant, thou sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise, which having no guide, overseer or ruler, provideth her meat in the summer. She puts up hay while the sun is shining. She prepares while she can. She gathereth her food in the harvest. How long wilt thou sleep, O sluggard? When wilt thou arise out of thy sleep? Yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep? Okay, keep taking your ease. Keep playing when you should be working and see how that works out for you. Verse 11 says, so shall thy poverty come as one that travaileth and thy want as an armed man. People say, you, you know, you should just trust the Lord. God provides for the flowers of the field. He provides for the birds of the air. How much more is he gonna provide for us as his children? Why do we have to worry about saving? Why do we have to worry about laying up against the future? Well, God does provide for us. And the way he did that, it's called a job, right? It's called your ability to work. And then you, through that, that gift that God gave you, you lay up against future hard times. It's biblical. This is not an exhaustive list, but let's go on a tour. Proverbs 21:20. there's treasure to be desired in oil in the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish man spendeth it up. Smart people save so they have something for the future. You say, well, I'm barely making it. Well, then you need to change your diet. Uh, this is the conversation that Cheryl and I have had multiple times over the years. When we hit a lean time, I tell them, I tell, I tell my wife, I tell my family, two-thirds of the world lives on rice and beans. We can do it too. So we change the menu, we reduce, in other words, we learn to live on the income that we have. We prioritize the Lord with our tithes, our offerings, anytime the Lord burdens us over sacrificial giving, we're gonna trust the Lord. We're all about his kingdom first. He's gonna supply our need. Then we reduce our standard of living so that we can not only provide, but we can keep laying up for the future. I don't have, I mean, I, I personally would be fine with eating ribeye, grilled ribeye every day. I, I, I could get used to that lifestyle really quick, okay? Uh, that, that would be no problem for me, not realistic. It's not realistic, so what do I do? Oh, man, if I have to, I can eat stuff that'll make a billy goat puke, right? Rice and beans are delicious. Okay, Proverbs 15, 6. The house of the righteous, in the house of the righteous is much treasure, but the, in the revenues of the wicked is trouble. If you're righteous, you're laying up. Psalm 112, verse one, praise you the Lord. Blessed is the man that feareth the Lord, 
that delighteth greatly in his commandments. His seed shall be mighty upon the earth. The generation of the upright shall be blessed. Wealth and riches shall be in his house. And his righteousness endureth forever. How does he get that wealth and riches? Oh, well, he won the, he won the lottery. No, he didn't. They, didn't. they didn't waste money like that back then. No, he worked. He saved. He laid up. In Ecclesiastes chapter 5, in verses 13 through 20, your Bible tells you, no matter how hard you work, you're not taking any of it with you, okay? So to be only in it, to work so you have stuff is foolish, but at the same time, look, look down in verse 18. Behold, that which I have seen, it is good and comely for one to eat and to drink and to enjoy the good, here it is, here's how God provides for his people, of all his labor that he taketh under the sun all the days of his life which God giveth him, for it is his portion. This is why in your New Testament, the Apostle Paul tells the church at Thessalonica, if you don't work, you must not be hungry. You don't spend your time telling everybody you need a sandwich. If you're hungry, get to work. If you don't work, right, if, if, no, if, if a guy's not working, don't, then he doesn't need to eat. That's the Apostle Paul, that's the New Testament, that's the age of grace perspective on personal finance. Verse 19, Ecclesiastes 5. Every man also to whom the Lord hath given riches and wealth and hath given him power to eat thereof and to take his portion and to rejoice in his labor, this is the gift of God. 1 Timothy 5, verse 8. What a serious command. What a, what a serious principle. If any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. For a Christian to not take care of his family, that's worse than, I mean, you're living worse than the lost world lives. Proverbs 21.5, the thoughts of the diligent tend only to plenteousness, but of everyone that is hasty, only to want. Chapter 10, verse four, he becometh poor that dealeth with a slack hand, but the hand of the diligent shall be, uh, maketh rich. 13.4, the soul of the sluggard desireth and hath nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall be made fat. Proverbs 13.22, a good man leaveth an inheritance to his children's children and the wealth of the sinner is laid up for the just. Can I just tell you, saving is biblical. It's godly, and it's how God intends to provide for you against future hard times. We're all, we're all gonna eventually, at some point, face hard times. Uh, what you wanna do is every time you go to the grocery store, you buy what your family needs, and then you buy, right? Trust the Lord to buy 10% more. Lay it up, right? Put it in storage. You want enough food, right? The, the, the typical principle is you have enough food to get through winter. You have enough resources to get through winter. Why? Well, because the, you know, the earth isn't producing during the winter seasons, right? After harvest, you've got another nine-ish months before you're gonna have, okay, so nine to 12 months, that's what you wanna be saving against. That's what you wanna be uh, that's what you want to be um, uh, laying up to provide for your family. You do the same thing financially. You want to you save up so that you can survive a hard season. It's biblical. You say, well, I don't, I don't make a lot of money. Get a part-time job. Redo your budget. Live within your means. I've said this 
to my wife, especially when we, when we started this church, I said, if it takes it, I'll sell everything and I'll buy a little used mobile home and we'll live in a trailer park somewhere because we're not gonna, we're not gonna live beyond our means. We're not gonna leverage ourselves into a place where financially we can't make it. Uh, God will provide for us. Uh, I've never worried about a bill. I've never worried that I'm gonna make it, that I'm gonna, I'm gonna be able to take care of my responsibilities at the end of every month. God is faithful. Uh, great hack uh, is, I mean, you know, they'll sell to whoever. The Mormons have cheap food and they're all about saving for winter. Uh, just Google it, Mormon pantries, Mormon food. There's, I mean, they do that here in Kansas City. You can buy a ton of good food on the cheap for whatever that's worth. I don't know if we need to scrub that from the web or what, but, <laughs> but uh, I mean, they're doing it. So, you, you, I mean, they set it up for, and they set it up for long-term food storage. So just pro tip there. Okay, verse 49. Don't miss Joseph's faith in the face of famine. Verse 49 says, and Joseph gathered corn as the sand of the sea, very much until he left numbering. There is so much food, he cannot count it all, for it was without number. And unto Joseph were born two sons before the years of famine came, which Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, bare unto him. And Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for God said, he hath made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. And the name of the second called he Ephraim, for God hath caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. So here, you know, he knows that famine is coming. And he's still, in full faith, he's raising up children. A lot of people look at the world today and they, you know, they can see the signs of the times and, and they make the decision is, you know, it's not fair to bring children into the world. It's not fair to bring children into a world like this. Or it's not fair to us as parents to have the responsibility to raise children in a, in a time or in a world like this. Not Joseph, the seven hardest years to face the earth since the cataclysm in Genesis chapter six are coming. Seven years of, of famine, tribulation, and he's raising a family. People think they don't wanna have a, chill, a child, right, in the face of coming hardships or in the face of famine. Psalm 127 verse three says, lo, children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. Any children that God gives me, he's gonna give me the capacity to provide for them. Sure enough, we raised three kids. Um, they're all you know, either providing for themselves or they're in the training right now to do that. Um, you know, Sam finishes up his, his master's degree this year. He'll be highly employable. Um, pray for Seth. Uh, I've told my children, once you move out, that's it. And I'll let you live under a bridge. Don't play, right? Do not play. I mean, if a true catastrophe hits, they can, they can come move back in for a season. <laughs> I tell them, I'm, like, I'm not raising your children. Marry well, don't mess it up. Now, obviously, if one of my sh children, they and their spouse, died in a horrible accident or whatever, obviously I'd raise their kids. But if they're alive, nope. <laughs> I've already raised my kids, I'm done. Um, I'm just looking forward 
to doing things with my grandkids that I never did with my own children so that they can say, that's not fair. And I'm like, well, yeah, that'll be great. That'll be great. Whatever it takes to make ends meet, you can do it. Even if that means living in a mobile home. Can I just tell you the one regret that I have? I thought we were done having kids at two. Sophie was the easy baby. We had one blowout when she was about two, and that took five minutes for her to clue in and realize, okay, I'm not running the household. She was easy. We have Sam, and it was like, as sweet, Sam was born mad. He stayed mad for a year, okay? It was, I mean, and talk about strong-willed. I mean, it was a battle with that kid, and I'm thinking, if we have one or two more of these, it will kill me. I mean, I don't think we can do it. And I'm like, two children, my quiver is full. We're done. And uh, Sophie prayed for a baby sister, and that's how we got Seth. He's a dude. (laughs) But, uh, man, thank God she prayed, because Seth, the whole family, mom, dad, Sam, Sophie, everybody adores little brother. Uh, He was joy in our home. Uh, I'm so grateful. Can I just tell you, my one regret is we waited too late to start having kids and we didn't have near enough. Um, If I had it to do over after the first year of marriage, I'd be asking, let's get pregnant, let's get pregnant, let's get pregnant. Let's crank out the babies because it's, it is so rich, it is so rewarding. Don't be afraid of what the world looks like. Is God with you or not? Raise up children who will bless the Lord. Raise up children who will bring glory to his name. Joe looked at the future, it's bleak, and he said, let's start a family. All right, in verses 47 and 49, what are we seeing? Joseph was successful in his work. Why, well he worked hard. <laughs> We too should work hard for our king. And so we can also assume success as well. Here's the picture. We live in a time of fruitful plenty. Don't miss this. Just like Joseph is living in a time of fruitful plenty before seven years of tribulation comes, this is that season of harvest. We're at the end of the harvest time. This is when we want to trust the Lord to be the exception to the norm. Let's win souls, let's make disciples, let's trust the Lord to be successful in being fruitful and having plenty before this time, this soon time coming of seven years of tribulation fall on the earth. The command of scripture is we're to bear much fruit. Jesus said it this way in John chapter 12 and verse 24, verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone, but if it die, It bringeth forth much fruit. Man, let's lay our lives down in the service of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's take up our cross and follow after him. Let's trust him to be fruitful. Here's the key. Jesus gives it in chapter 15 of John's gospel. We gotta abide in him. We gotta abide in the vine. John 15, five says, I am the vine. Ye are the branches. Jesus says, he that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If you're not doing anything in your Christian walk, why is that? Well, Jesus just told us, without him we can do nothing. We can't live the life that he's called 
called us to in and of ourselves. This is why we're in the middle of two weeks of prayer and fasting, because it's not by the strength, the might, the power, the wisdom, the ability of our flesh that we get anything done spiritually, kingdom-wise. But man, if we're abiding in Christ, right, if we're dwelling in him and the person and the word of Christ and the person and the word of Christ is dwelling in us, you will be fruitful. You say, well, I'm, I'm scared. I'm scared. Pray, fast, call on the Lord to open a door that not even you can miss falling through. He'll do it. It's a beautiful thing to watch. Verses 50 and 52, notice that in spite of his success, Joseph doesn't abandon his spiritual, uh, in his case, Israelite heritage. He gives his two sons, characteristically, Hebrew names. Manasseh means forget. It signified that God made him forget his trouble and pain. It's like Joe's integrity here, right? He's pure unto the Lord. And yet with trouble all of his life, he says no to Potiphar's wife. And what does God do? I mean, God preserves him through that. He preserves him through prison. I mean, his whole life as a young man has been nothing but pain, betrayal, suffering. And yet in a moment, right, he's running the world. In a moment, everything flips. And, it, and he's so blessed, he forgets all of that past pain. It's like getting married. One time I went 24 years without having intercourse. And as a 24-year-old man, I was like, oh God, you know I don't have the gift. I am trusting you for a solution to the burn, okay? You said it was better to marry than to burn. One time I went 24 years don't say you can't not, okay? I went one, t- one time I went 24 years without it, okay? And the whole time was suffering. Well, that's not true. I was a late bloomer. Um, eight to 10 years of it were miserable, okay? Miserable. Oh, God. I know you got someone for me. Every breakup with Cheryl. You know, all these rock ballads on the radio. <laughs> There's a hole in my heart that can only be filled. Oh, God, please. Okay, so it was, it, was, it was a rough time. Man, one day into my, I mean, one day into my marriage with Cheryl, I forgot all about the suffering of being single. It was my Manasseh moment. <laughs> I mean, Man, the married life is, I I just completely forgot about being single and I didn't spend, I didn't spend the last 30 years bemoaning my eight years of purity and faithfulness and that suffering before the Lord. I didn't, I, I never, I never, I never mourned that for one second. Why? Because my state was changed. I went from suffering lack to being abundantly blessed above all I could ever hope, ask, or think. I mean, it's just, man, praise the Lord. It's like in a moment, you forget your suffering. So the principle is this. The minute God's blessing shows up, the hardship getting there is forgotten. It's like, it's like giving birth to, to children. You know, the, the, the typical 
mother that's in the process of giving birth is wondering, am I gonna survive this? Uh, it's, 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 it's horrific pain. And then the moment that child is there, all the labor is forgotten. It was worth it. I mean, I know you didn't, give, you didn't forget everything, but I mean, like, it immediately dulls it. So I'm told. It immediately dulls it, and uh, you're, you're, you're living in a new paradigm. His second kid, Ephraim, means fruitful. So that's showing that God made him fruitful in the land of his affliction, in the land of Egypt. All right, verses 53 through 57. Here we see Joseph as the prime minister of the world. And the seven years of plenteous, uh, plenteousness that was in the land of Egypt were ended, and the seven years of dearth began to come, according as Joseph had said, and the dearth was in all lands. But in all the land of Egypt there was bread. And when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried unto Pharaoh for bread. And Pharaoh said unto all the Egyptians, go unto Joseph, what he saith to you, do. And the famine was over all the face of the earth, and Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold unto the Egyptians. And the famine waxed sore in the land of Egypt. And all the countries came into Pharaoh to Joseph to buy corn, because that the famine was so sore in all lands. So don't miss the picture. The world is dying, right? They're dying in their condition, in their fallen condition. And they cry out to Pharaoh, save us. And what does Pharaoh say? He points them to Jesus, I mean Joseph, right? Pharaoh's word to the lost and dying world is go unto Joseph. What he saith to you do. This is what God said to the disciples on the Mount of Transfiguration, Matthew 17, five, while he yet spake. While Jesus is yet speak, right, what, what happens? Behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, this is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. What he says, do. And that's what you and I should say to the lost. Go to Jesus, and what he saith unto you, do. Because here, Joseph alone is seen as giving the bread of life to a lost and dying world. Through Joseph, there was bread for all. Well, so also Christ. The supply of salvation in Christ is not limited. There's grace for everyone. In Ephesians 1, you read about the riches of his grace. In Ephesians 2, it's the exceeding riches of his grace. We read about God being rich in mercy. In 1 Peter chapter 1, you read about abundant mercy. In Ephesians 3, it's the unsearchable riches of Christ. Man, he's rich. Romans 10, 12 says, the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. So that's the invitation from God to anyone that's hurting. Go to Jesus and what he says do. Man, that's biblical counseling, isn't it? I've got a big problem. What does the book, what does the word of God say about it? I should do that. That's the invitation. In the midst of loss, in the midst of dearth, famine, God's invitation is come and dine. Come and dine. So Father, I come to you today in Jesus' name, and Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters. Lord, for everyone that's hurting, for everyone that has a messed up marriage, a messed up kid, a messed up situation at work, Lord, that they would, they would trust you for the promise of your word over their life. God, help these trials, these difficulties to become times that are truly faith-building times where we truly grow closer to you. 
Lord, the enemy, our flesh, this lost world system are all designed to make us look at a hard time and then use that to drive a wedge between us and you. Lord, I pray for the faith of my brothers and sisters. Lord, if there's any that are here that do not know Christ as Lord and Savior, God, I pray that today, according to your word, that today would be the day of salvation, that they'd be done with the excuses. Lord, please let Satan be bound from their heart and their mind, that they'd see the truth of your great love for them, and that today they would profess Christ as their Lord and Savior. God, I wanna ask that, that I mean, you're, you alone know every life, every heart, every situation. You're the only one that knows all the details. And you know what we're going through better than, than we know ourselves. And so, Lord, please let today fall out to Jesus as our Joseph, the Savior of the world. And if he's sufficient to save us from enmity with you, then he's enough Right, he, he, he is rich unto all that call on him. We can cast all care on him knowing that he cares for us. And so Lord, you're worth being right with. You're worthy of our submission. You're worthy of our obedience. And so Lord, have your way with every heart and life today, I pray in Jesus' name, amen.